So a quick reminder of why we're doing the Psalms of Ascent for those of you who haven't been in here before and for those of you who have. So we're here in Sunday school. It's kind of a point that I've made the past two Sundays. It's kind of a prelude to the, the primary worship service that takes place in about an hour. So that is our, our primary time, our main time to organize and to feast upon the Word of God proclaimed. But at this time, immediately before, this time can be used and should be used to build up an anticipation for the next hour. I've kind of made the point that no matter what stage of life you're in, have kids, don't have kids, it's always kind of a, kind of a hustle to get here. Right, Pogues? Yeah, you know, driving, <laughs> driving a long way. It's much it's even more of a hustle for y'all than the rest of us. And so you can kind of use this time to, you know, Settle down a bit and get your heart prepared to, to go into the, the primary worship service. And it builds up an anticipation for it. And I kind of made the point that this kind of acts like an, an opening act for the worship service. It's, so it's, it's nice in a lot of ways. It's a good, good time to be used. And this is kind of the same purpose that the Psalms of Ascent served for the purpose of the, the Old Covenant Church. In the first lesson, we kind of really dove into what the Psalms of Ascent are and why they're called Psalms of Ascent in the first place. There's some differing views on that, but they all can be held simultaneously. But the primary agreed upon version is that these were sung as people were making pilgrimage from wherever their house was, wherever their homes were, to their annual feast days in Jerusalem. So they had, you had in Deuteronomy, you had required command of the Lord that the males of each house went to Jerusalem three times a year for a gathered corporate worship service. Now, the women and children could go with them. They weren't required to, but all the men were required to. And whenever they're on the way to Jerusalem, they'd be ascending into the worship space and they'd sing these songs the whole way that they were, they were going. And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of their prelude to their primary worship service. Same thing we're looking at in Sunday school. So we could use them as the same way in this new covenant church that we're in. We're going we're to be doing that over this next eight weeks or so. I'm probably going to remind you of this at the start of each lesson. And then one final thing before we dive into these. I want, you to kinda, I want us to see these as both devotion and doxology. So they're going to use us to bring our hearts closer to the Lord as moments of reflection upon ourselves and any situations we might be in and to uplift our spirits. But they're also doxological because these are songs and songs are meant to be sung and songs that are sung, especially songs that are God's inspired word, are going to be sung to him in praise. So they're both devotion and doxology. They're going to be for our benefit but they are, there are hymns of praise to our great God. So with all of that at the beginning, we're going to start off Psalm 120. This is the first Psalm of Ascent. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to, with me to Psalm 120. Today we're going to do Psalm 120 and 121. The way I've, I've kind of got it pegged out is that we're going to do 120. We're going to do a little exposition of it. And then we're going to sing it. And we're going to do 121. And we're going to sing that. We'll see how that works. If it looks like next week it might work better to do, to do the exposition both and then sing them both at the end, we'll make that adjustment. But for this week, we're going to do 120, then sing it, 121, then sing that one. All right. Psalm 120. <clears throat> A song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? 
And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I have had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. All right. So the Psalms of Ascent start out in a low place. We talked about that on the first week. Some people view this, that's why they might be called Psalms of Ascent, is that they start very low, and by the time you reach the end in 134, you've ascended quite a bit, because 134 is a very, very lifted up psalm, a psalm of praise. But they do start in a low place. Here the, the psalmist is lamenting that he lives away from God's people. He does not dwell amongst, God, amongst God's chosen. He opens remembering the times in the past where he has cried out in distress to the Lord, and God, as he always does with a broken spirit, answers his child's prayer. The verse 2 then goes on to explain the cause for the distress. People are attacking the psalmist with their lies and their deceit. Brings to mind the Apostle James's warning about the destructive power of the tongue. Unbridled tongue is such a danger. And we, as Christians, have a responsibility to use this powerful tool to build up and not tear down, especially within the body of believers. You don't really get the hints in this psalm that that's the case, but we have that responsibility. We're to use our tongues for building up, not tearing down. And these verses, these verses are also very similar to an imprecatory psalm that was written by David. Some people think that this 120 was written by David don't really know because a lot of the Psalms of Ascent do have the inscription of David. This one does not. But in Psalm 52, we do have the inscription that this is a Psalm of David. And what it says, I can get there. It's very similar, especially the opening to the Psalm we just read. So Psalm 52, verses 1 through 4. It says, To the choir master, a maskil of David, when Doeg, the Edomite, came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. So if you're interested in that, you can go back and read the account from 1 Samuel, that, um, or 2 Samuel, to the 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, where Doeg sees David whenever Saul's hunting for him, and then Doeg goes and snitches on David to Saul and says, this is where he is. And David wrote this in response. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. So you see a lot. This is very similar to 120 that we just read. David has the same warnings for the one who wants destruction of God's people. It says, be warned, O one who opposes the Lord. The Lord will not stand idly by while his people are assaulted. He's a mighty warrior that comes in judgment. Psalm 120, moving back to it, then it moves to address the person that is causing the trouble in the same way. First it asks a rhetorical question, and then it answers the question with the affirmation that God is coming to judge the wicked tongue with arrows and fire that will not be quenched. Just in case you're wondering, the broom tree was known at the time for its uh, ability to produce very good charcoal charcoal that would burn for a very long time. So the psalmist is warning those who are opposed to God's people that God is coming with arrows and fire. 
psalmist then moves from focusing on a specific situation of the lying and deceitful tongue to the larger problem that he faces. So in verse 5, he starts off explaining what really the larger problem is. He is not in the presence of God's people. He might be physically, we don't know, but he's definitely spiritually exiled from the land. So in case you're wondering where these places are, Meshach was a land that is far north of Israel, up on the corner of the Black Sea, kind of almost close to modern-day Greece. So it's far away from Israel, Meshach is. Qadar was a place that was far southeast of Israel, modern-day Saudi Arabia. So you get somewhere far north of Israel, far southeast of Israel. So he's obviously not dwelling in both of these places at the same time. The point is that he is away from God's people, maybe physically, but definitely spiritually. He's surrounded by Gentiles that are hostile to the law of God. They're not influenced by God's word, and this is why they hate peace. Israel was to be a nation of peace and light to those around them. You might be confused about this because the Old Testament, there's a lot of war in the Old Testament, but Israel was always supposed to be defending itself from those nations that were attacking it, and they were always supposed to be a nation of peace and light to the nations that were around them. This was because they were supposed to declare the glory of God. God even tells David that the reason why he's not going to let David build the temple is because David has been a man of war. Now, these wars weren't necessarily David's fault, but he had been a man of blood. And the man of blood was not supposed to build God's temple. Solomon was going to come after him. He was going to be a man of peace. And God was going to allow him to build the temple. So Israel was supposed to be for peace and not for war. Even after they were exiled, they are given a specific command to live in peace. So in Jeremiah 29... God gives, through Jeremiah, the exiles a specific command to live in peace. In verses 4 through 7, Jeremiah 29, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, the word welfare here that's repeated in verse 7 three times is actually shalom. Most most of the places in the Bible, that's translated peace. So it could be seek the peace of the city that I've sent you in exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its peace, you'll find your peace. So even in exile, they were supposed to be peoples of of peace. So if the psalmist here is in some sort of physical exile, he's still searching to be a man of peace, even though those people around him are for war. So he goes on to to lament that this this is incredibly difficult in his situation. In verses 6 and 7 again, it says, Too long I've had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. He's trying to live a peaceable life. They're not letting him. They're for war. But they're lying in their deceitful tongues. So how can he keep living amongst these people who were so opposed to peace? Can these Gentiles, can they join in with God's people and worship him in peace with us? What's the answer to that? Well, the answer to that does not get answered within this psalm. But Isaiah chapter 2 gives us an answer to that. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 says this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Keep that verse kind of in the back of your mind for when we go to 
Psalm 121 in just a second. I'm going to read it again. In the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountain and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Continuing on in verse 3, it says, And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, or let us ascend to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Here's the key right here. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So here we have Isaiah's description of an ascent of all nations coming together to worship the Lord. The nations are not going to contest with each other. Disputes are going to be settled. The weapons of war are going to be fashioned into tools that bring about prosperity for everyone. Their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. There's going to be peace because all these ethnicities are going to come together for worship in the house of God. So that is the answer to the pain that the psalmist is experiencing here. The light to the nations must come, and they're all going to gather together in peace to worship. You can see this right at the front of the Psalms of Ascent. Remember, these people that are singing these psalms, especially when they're collected and gathered together for their, their primary purpose then, these people that are, that are singing these psalms, they leave their mountains and they're going to ascend the mountain of God to worship in Jerusalem. And they start out singing these to remind themselves that they are probably going to face some sort of opposition along the way. Others may come and attack them, but they should not fear, for they are on a noble, noble quest. They are going to worship the living God, the God who will defend his people, the God who will ultimately bring about peace in order to glorify himself. Those who are singing this song have nothing to fear. So a quick application to us today. As Christians, we are commanded to live a peace-seeking life. Romans 8, 12, 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 1 Timothy 2 says, First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. But that is not always so easy when the world is so against us and the hostility is seemingly increasing more and more and more every day, faster and faster and faster. It's difficult. It really is. So, so tell me, tell me, have you ever felt a sense of isolation in a hostile world? Have you ever felt like you were sojourning in Meshach or dwelling in the tents of Kedar? Jesus experienced this to a degree that we cannot even possibly imagine. He's talking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44, when he says, you are, of the father, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is making an explicit affirmation about the devil here. He's accusing the Pharisees of being like their father, the devil. He's accusing them of having lying lips and a deceitful tongue. So Jesus experienced this. Jesus experienced exactly what Psalm 120 is talking about. 
Jesus was in Meshach or Kedar. And his answer to this distress, this distress of dwelling amongst those who were always at war with him, was always to turn to his father in prayer. Later on, through his death and resurrection, he's going to establish the weekly new covenant worship of God, worship that would spread throughout the entire world that fulfills Isaiah's prophecy of everyone looking towards the mountains of Jerusalem to worship all nations. So that is how you escape lying lips and deceitful tongue and people that wish to do you harm, do you harm through prayer and worship. Jesus was the primary example of this. You gather together with assembled believers to worship our God. And that is why we are here today. Prayer, worship. So this is the escape from lying lips and deceitful tongue. This is where you go when people are at war with you all the time. Come to the Lord. You gather amongst his people, not Meshach and Gadar. Let's sing. You see there... On your, does everyone have a copy, at least digitally or physically? So on Psalm 120, the way that you can do this, you can look there. We're going to regather these at the end of this. But if you go on later this week and you want to re-sing this, I'll show this sheet right here. If you look in there, I have a suggested tune. I give you the meter and I give you the suggested tune. Today we're going to sing this to the tune of Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. Don't be confused. This is not at the cross. Two a little bit different tunes. This is just Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. I give you the meter there. The meter is common meter. Okay. So common meter. We've got these sheets. If you weren't here last week, there's some more out there. If you want one, then I'll make some more copies if we run out. These sheets right here have everything listed that we sing. If you don't know the tune for Alas and Did My Savior Bleed later on in this week, whenever you want to sing this, you can pick out anything that's in common meter and it'll work. So everybody knows the tune for Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is in common meter. You want to sing this later on in the week, you can sing these same exact words to the tune of Amazing Grace and it'll work. But today we're going to go, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. I'm going to give us a small lead in and if we mess up, just plow through. That's fine. It's not a big deal. We're going to sing it. All right. I cried in trouble to the Lord, and He has answered me. From lying lips and crafty tongue, O Lord, my soul set free. What shall be Oh, 
Moving on to Psalm 121, the second of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 121, let's read it together first. A Song of Ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And the first psalm, if the first psalm in the Psalms of Ascent was from a despondent and exasperated pen. We just looked at that. It's very down. It's a very low psalm. It's a lament. This one comes from a place of great confidence. Verse 1 opens with either a question of, of inspiration. So you can look at this, this verse 1 two ways. Read it again. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? So this can be a question of inspiration. Or, I think this is probably the more likely case, not the inspiration case. If, let me backtrack just a bit. If it's inspiration, the psalmist looks up, he sees the hills, he sees the one specific hill of Mount Zion, and then he's reminded of whose dwelling place he is journeying towards. Could be the case. It might be the case. My, another point might also be the case. Or the question of verse 1 could be provoked by the thought of an experience of fear and uncertainty. If you looked at the rest of the psalm, that's what kind of makes a little bit more sense to me. Because if you look up to the hills, remember what they're doing here. They're traversing places that are dangerous. They're going from their homes to worship in Jerusalem. They're on a foot journey. You look up to the hills, and the hills kind of represent fear and uncertainty. Danger could be hidden in the hills. Could Could be ravenous animals up there. Or more likely, there could be some marauders that are going to seek to harm the travelers. They're going to seek to rob them or murder them or harm them in some sort of way. So remember the ending of that first song of a sense that we just read. War was always on the table here, especially in this culture. War is always on the table. The people are seeking peace, but there's war always there. Same situation here. The hills present danger. So where are these weary travelers going to receive the help to defend themselves? They look up to the hills, they see the danger and the uncertainty that these hills represent. Where does my help come from? Verse 2 answers that question. Verse 2 again, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Yahweh comes with all of his power to defend his people. Lord there in your Bibles is probably in all caps. It means Yahweh, it's covenant name. God is coming to help his people, his people. 
The same one who created the universe cares for the well-being of his clan. No other power can go against this mighty God. Comfort of God's people lies in the confidence of God's presence and providence over their lives. No power of the enemy can harm them. Like Job says in Job 42, when he's speaking directly to God, he says, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Or David over in Psalm 18 says, I love you, Lord, O O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So we, like David, like Job, like the person who wrote this psalm, we wholeheartedly affirm that God is going to keep us from harm. Have to. So look back at at verses 3 through 8 here. 3 through 8 are kind of separated from verses 1 and 2 a little bit, especially because there is a word that occurs in each verse except verse 6. Anyone want to take a shot at that word? It's got a couple of small variations, but the word here, 3 through 8, is repeated in every verse except verse 6. Give a shot. Huh? Lord Lord is there. Keep. Somebody said it. Keep. Yes. Keep. Keep is there. So the five instances here in three through eight. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Skip verse six. Verse seven. The Lord will keep you. Again in verse seven. He will keep your life. In verse eight. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord here, he keeps both the corporate entity, Israel, that's the way it starts off, but he is also going to keep you, the individual member. Your foot will not stumble or slip. You will be protected from the dangers of day and night. Your life is safe from all evil, whether you're going out or coming in. Not only is God all-powerful, that's affirmed in verse 2. Remember, this is the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He is all-powerful. Not only is he all-powerful, but he is ever-watchful. He cares for his people. He's going to keep them. He never sleeps. This reminds me of Isaiah's mocking of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. I'm going to read that. 1 Kings 18, verses... 27, 25 through 27. Remember, he's, he's going up against, against the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. And this is, this is what he said. Elijah goes into a mocking mood here. And he says to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Well, Baal had to sleep. Our God never sleeps. He's ever watchful. doesn't have to. He's all-powerful. All of these silly little idols and gods around us have no power to keep our souls from perishing. Only the mighty God of Israel is present at all times to save his people, like this psalm says, from this time forth and forevermore. He's the only one. None of these silly little idols, none of these silly little gods that are in our world all the time. Only our God can do that. 
It's application to us today. It's going to be, it would be a great mistake to read this passage and come away with the conclusion that God promises us that we will never suffer. I don't think anyone here especially would, would read that and say God promises us that we will never suffer. In the New Testament, that is indeed an actual promise. Is that if you will suffer, if you are in Christ, you're going to suffer for his sake. But we believe that God's providence guards us from anything that will truly, eternally, in the long run, harm us. And that he works all things for our good. Faith assures us that all will be well and that God acts as our guardian and the guardian of all believers, the corporate community, and each individual member. We promise that. So even in the greatest trouble, we have no reason to fear eternally. In that moment, you might have a reason to fear but eternally, you have no reason to fear. This brings us to the great Calvinistic doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or perhaps the preservation of the saints. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. Or, another way, the keeping of the saints. That's what you got in the Psalm 121, the emphasis on keep. God's going to keep them. God's going to protect them. He's going to preserve them. He's going to make them persevere. It's not our own strength by which we persevere, but that Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit preserves us. To paraphrase a study Bible that I use, it says that John 6, combined with John chapter 10, tells us that Jesus is under a promise to his Father and to his people directly to keep them so that they never perish. In his prayer for the disciples at the Last Supper, Jesus asked that those whom the Father had given him would be preserved to glory. Christ continues to intercede for his people, and it is inconceivable that his prayer for them will go unanswered. Paul celebrates the present and future security of the saints in the almighty love of God in Romans chapter 8. He rejoices in the certainty that God will complete the good work that he began in the lives of believers in at least five of his epistles. This is what chapter 17 of our confession, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, says. Chapter's titled, The Perseverance of the Saints, and this is the first paragraph or a portion of the first paragraph no this is the whole first paragraph those whom god has accepted in the beloved effectually called and sanctified by his spirit and given the precious faith of his elect unto can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved seeing the gifts and callings of god without repentance from which source he still begets and nourishes them in faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit unto immortality. And though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off of that foundation and rock which by faith they are fashioned upon. Notwithstanding through unbelief and temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same. And they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they being engraved upon the palm of his hands, and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. It's hard to improve on that. Question so good. So God is going to preserve you. God is going to keep you. God is going to help you to persevere through any trials or troubles that you may have. He's going to lift you up from this time forth and forevermore. We're kept. We are saved through the preserving and faith and Christian living to the end 
as God keeps us and preserves us. So, let's sing again. Let's sing again to this great God and Lord who made heaven and earth and from where our help comes from. This one is also in common meter. So later on during this week, if you can't remember the tune, you're welcome to also sing this one to Amazing Grace. I've chosen on Jordan Stormy Banks, I Stand. If you don't know this one, there's actually a version of this one in our Brown Baptist hymnal in there. It's not the same version. This is, if you've ever heard Indelible Grace sing this, this is their version. Sometimes it ends with a chorus, I'm bound for the promised land, like that. We're not going to do the chorus, we're just doing the verses here, okay? Psalms of Ascent. We'll continue on 